0: Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter nine. And as you're opening your Bibles to Acts chapter nine, what we're going to be seeing is we're going to be seeing or we're going to be reading about a major shift—a shift from the acts of Peter to the acts of Paul. And as uh, we've seen, we as we've been going through the book of Acts. It was actually Luke, Dr. Luke, that introduced Paul, who is at this time known as Saul. And we saw him in Acts chapter 7 in the closing verses. We saw how Paul in his early 30s, and that's where he's at right now, he's in his early 30s. He's actually consenting to the death of Stephen. Imagine that, he's consenting to the death of Stephen. And also, he's there caring for the outer garments of the men that were stoning Stephen. And so, as Saul is witnessing all of this, he sees the face of Stephen. And the face of Stephen is actually reflecting the face of an angel. And as Saul is looking at him, as he's being stoned to death, we know that Stephen is calling out to our Heavenly Father, he's calling out to God, And he's asking God to forgive his murderers. Imagine that. And after seeing this and hearing this, Paul begins to make a havoc of the church. And this is what we're told in the opening verses of Acts chapter 8. And what do we mean by havoc? How many of you have seen wild animals tearing up their prey? You know, I think most of us have seen this in National Geographic, right? We see the wild animals as they grab a hold of their prey and they're just like chewing it and and just mauling it, right? And if you haven't seen those, how many of you have dogs here? And you give dogs some meat, right? And if you have a couple of dogs, you see they're both fighting and mauling on the meat. And so that's exactly what the word havoc means here in Acts chapter 8 verse 3. What it means is that Paul was tearing up the church. Paul was destroying the church like a wild animal. And that's what we see, and that's what is told to us. And so, as we get now into chapter 9, Dr. Luke begins to focus. Dr. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He begins to focus on Paul's conversion. And he begins to give us the details of Paul's encounter with Jesus. And at this time, he's known as Saul. And what's important about all of this is that this is a major turning point. This is a major shift In the church of God. And as we look at this event, we also know that that Luke also writes about it. This is how important it is. Luke writes about this event not only here in Acts chapter 9, but he writes about it in Acts chapter uh, chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. And as we go through today's verses, we're not only going to meet Saul, but we're also going to be introduced to another man. His name is Ananias. And this is the man that would replace his fears with faith. But what's in in common with both of these men is the willingness to follow the voice of Jesus. The willingness to follow the voice of Jesus. The title of today's message is, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? And as we're going to see, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal the obedience of these two men. One is a new convert. And one is a seasoned disciple. So we have the new convert, Saul, and then we have the seasoned disciple, which is Ananias. And for the essence of time, what we're going to do is we're just going to get into the scriptures and we're going to expound on the scriptures. We're going to teach you as we go through these. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to us and the Holy Spirit would move powerfully through the Word of God, the Word of God that is filled with power. And so let's begin in verses 1 and 2 there in Acts chapter 9. And it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we have here Saul. As we read there in verse 1, that he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. The key word here is still. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed from chapter 7 and chapter 8. And as we see here that he's still continuing to breathe threats and murder against Christians. And as we see here, the Christians, as it says in verse 2, at this time they were called the way. So we have the way here, another name for Christians. We know that they're also called saints, they're also called Christians, they're also called the way. And as we're looking at the life of Saul and his early beginnings against the church, when we look at Acts chapter 22, verse 4, it gives us the details as to his behavior. In Acts 22, verse 4, it says there that Paul, and this is Paul speaking of himself, he's talking about this time about his life before Christ, he says, I persecuted this way to the death." talking about the way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So in other words, he was persecuting Christians. He says to the death, in other words, many were killed. And then he says, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So he was arresting many of the Christians. This was his life's purpose. As we look at the... As, as, as we look at the, the introduction, still breathing threats. In other words, this was his life. His life was to what? To wipe out the Christians. And as we also see there in verse 2, he, Luke gives us the details that he needed letters from the high priest for permission to arrest Christians, to arrest the way. And these were Christians now in Damascus. See what is this telling us? What this is telling us is that the church at this time was growing; it was spreading, and Damascus. So you know, is about 135 miles away from Jerusalem. So as it started in Jerusalem, it's now spreading, and Saul's desire is to do what? Is to stop the growth. And he knew that the growth had now shifted to Damascus. And he says, you know what? I got to get ahead of it. I got to make sure that it stops. And there were many synagogues in Damascus. And so he wanted to spread. He wanted to stop the spread. And as we see here that the Christians were going into the temple. They were still going into the synagogues. You know, we know later on that the church really begins in the homes, but at this time, they're still going into the temples, meaning that, you know what, there was still Judaism, right? They weren't breaking from that yet. It was still in their mind. So they would go into the temples, and, and this is where Saul says, you know what, I'm going to get them because I know they're going into these temples. He had one purpose, to arrest them and to bring them back to Jerusalem. Let me share this with you. Saul had a hatred towards Christians. He wanted the movement stopped and he was going to do whatever he could to stop it. He had a great commitment to this cause. And I have met several people just like Saul trying to silence Christianity, trying to stop it. And I think many of you have experienced the same, right? How many of you have experienced Saul's in your life? A number of you have. Remember this, that the enemy will put souls in your life to hinder his work, to stop the spread. I remember when I worked at BMW, and for those of you that know, I worked for the corporate office, you know, headquarters in Germany. We, we also had a, uh, our, our, uh, our headquarters, our U.S. headquarters that were in New Jersey and Ohio. And I remember I had coworkers there that hated me. They didn't like me. And they didn't like me because of what I stood for. They didn't like me because I was a Christian. And, and many times they attempted to get me fired. That's what they wanted. If they wanted me out. They would say negative things about me. And this was their purpose. They didn't want me there, right? Why? Because, you know what, I wouldn't do the things that they were doing. You know, I wouldn't go out and party with them. I wouldn't go drink with them. I wouldn't watch pornography with them. And I wouldn't do these things. And I would stand up for the things that are righteous. And they didn't like it. And because of this, right, they would, you know what, they they didn't want me there. They didn't want me working with them. But you know what, God is so good when it comes to all these things, especially when when it comes to protecting His children. Do you know what happened to each and every one of them that came against me? And I'm not kidding you, every single one of my colleagues that wanted me fired, guess what happened to them? They got fired. Look at what Jesus, look at what Paul, he talks about this very point. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. He repays with tribulation those that trouble you. Remember, he says, vengeance is mine. It's not for you. You let me take care of them. They will reap what they sow. Retribution is what they got. What they wanted me, they wanted me fired. And guess what? They got fired. But these are the Saul's that we meet in our life. These are those that come against us because of who we stand for. And as we read in verse 3, it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul is about to arrive. That's what it's telling us, right? Right there in verse 3, he's saying, you know what? He is near Damascus. He is what? Probably less than a mile away. He's probably traveled now 134 miles. He's about to arrive, and you know what? He's licking his chops. Why would he be licking his chops? Because he is excited and anxious to arrest the Christians. Remember, he went to the high priest to get permission. He's so excited. He's so, you know what? He's so passionate. He, he has one purpose. Get rid of Christian, of, of Christians. Wipe out this Christianity. Wipe out the way. And right before he goes into Damascus, right before he goes in, a light, a light from heaven shines around him. And when this light from heaven shines around him, what does he do? He falls to the ground. He knows this is divine. He knows that, you know what, this is not normal. And so he falls to the ground, and immediately, what does he hear? He hears a voice. He sees the light and then he hears a voice. And can you imagine this voice, right, coming from this light, addresses him personally. How would we be, right? Think about that, right? This voice from this light addresses him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Let's look at these two. Let's look at the light from the heavens and let's look at the voice from heaven. You know, as we look at this, right, the light that shone around him, it was no ordinary light. This was the glory of God. See, Jesus himself, understand this, Jesus himself came to visit Saul from the heavens. How do I know this? Because it's only saying that it's a light that shone around him. Because as I mentioned to you that The story, the the events here that took place are also talked about in Acts 22 and Acts 26. And in Acts 26 verse 16, Paul, as he's recounting this event, tells us that Jesus appeared to him. So can you imagine that this is Jesus that appeared to him? And we know that there's a light only because anyone, especially the angels and and, and, and the Lord Himself, when they would come from heaven, right, they would have this glory to them. They would have this light around them. And we've heard about this, right, with the angels that are shining bright. When you look at Matthew 28, verse 3, it says, and it talks about angels there, that the countenance of the angel was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. Even Jesus, when He walked on earth, there was a time as we saw there in, in the video, right? Of the, Jeru- of the trip to Israel. You saw the Mount of Transfiguration. And that is a place where the Lord, guess what He did? He revealed His glory. He, he, he allowed His flesh to no longer be visible, but He came through His flesh and He revealed Himself to Peter, James, and John. In Matthew 17, verse 2, He says, And He was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. This is his glorified appearance. This is the way he is. This is Jesus. If you're thinking when you go to heaven, you're going to see this light. You're going to see this, this glory about him. This is why when the angels come down, that they have that same appearance. And based on this, Saul immediately falls to the ground. He falls to the ground. He doesn't know who it is though. But all He knows that it is a divine presence and a divine appearance. And as we saw here, that He heard a a voice, a voice calling Him by name. He sees the Lord and He hears Him calling Him by name. That the presence is so overwhelming and to know that the presence knew Him personally. And this presence is asking Him, Why are you persecuting me? Why are you hostile towards me? So of course Saul, not knowing who he is, this is why he says what he says in verse 5, as we read there, and he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Who are you? The fact that Saul addressed him by Lord, reveals that Saul knew this was a divine presence and appearance. Immediately, he calls him Lord. Why would he call him Lord? Because he knew. And the next words that Saul would hear would be life-changing. I want to talk about these words. He heard, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And then he heard the words, it is hard to kick against the goat. Let's look at these, right? The first one is when Jesus told him, it is Jesus. Imagine the thoughts that went through Saul to think to himself, you know what? Jesus is actually alive. See, remember, he is trying to wipe out Christianity. He is trying to wipe out all the followers of Christ, all the disciples of Christ. His purpose is to wipe them all out. Why? Because he thought, and he, in his heart, he said that Jesus is a fake. He's not the Messiah. He's not who he says he is. And then to see Jesus is alive, what thoughts would have gone through his mind? To think, you know what? All the disciples, all the apostles are saying that Jesus is alive. Imagine hearing Stephen speak of Jesus when he was stoned to death and Stephen was saying that Jesus is alive. I am seeing him now that he is alive. And then to think, I've been killing his followers. I've been persecuting them. See, Saul knew exactly what Jesus said when he said, you're persecuting me. See, when you persecute the followers of Jesus, you're persecuting God himself. When people come against us, guess who they're coming against? They're coming against God. Let me bring this home to all of you. Many of you have family and children, right? And when someone does something against your family or your kids, they're doing things against you, especially your mama bears, right? And don't mess with my kids. Same thing with the dads. You don't mess with my children. But it also goes in other illustrations, right? When you look at your jobs, when someone comes against you at your job, you know, and others say, hey, why are they coming against us? Or co workers in a team sport, right? You see this happening all the time in sports, right? They come against a player, somebody socks them, guess what, the whole team jumps in there, right? Because it's what? They're one. The same thing with Jesus and his followers. We're one. And so Jesus tells Paul, or Saul at the time, it's hard to kick against the goads. What does this mean? This is always those, one of those things. Right? What does he mean by that? It's hard to kick against the goads. Let me share this with you. This was a common proverb, a common saying on resisting. Let me explain this to you. Let me go into further details. Golds were sticks, they were sticks, spiked sticks, that were used to break in cattle and bulls. In other words, you know what? They would use these pointed sticks with spikes so that they can train the animals so that they can break the animals. And it's very difficult to resist the breaking in or the training if you have, what, a stick poking at you, right? Imagine the animals. Do you want to have your your body poked all the time? Of course not. So you're going to start doing, when you do something wrong, the animals, you poke them. Okay, I can't do that. Today they make those, what, those collars, right? Those uh, electrical collars for dogs, right? If they're doing something wrong, you push that. And then it zaps him and so okay, I can't do that. Well, this is similar to that. Jesus said, Saul, why are you kicking against the goats? He made this personal for Saul. See, Saul had been resisting the calling of God. Remember many of us, right? Think about this, right? We can relate to Saw in this, right? Because how many of us were having a conviction by the Holy Spirit? We didn't probably know what it was at the time, but we knew that, you know what? i got to get right with God, right? How many of you remember that? i got to make things right with God. You know what? I want change in my life. I need God in my life. The Holy Spirit was convicting us, right? Even though we were resisting that conviction, we know that The Lord also used who? He used Stephen, right? As Saul saw him, and he saw him with the face of an angel, the Bible says. And to hear the words from Stephen, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Guess what? That was penetrating to Saul. But Saul kept resisting. And this is why the Lord told him, it's difficult for you to kick against the goads. And so how is Saul now? Let's look at verse 6. So he, speaking of Saul, he trembled, he was trembling and he was astonished and he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Imagine Saul. He was trembling, the Bible says. Why do people tremble? Because you're afraid, right? When you have fear, you're going to tremble, right? You're going to, you know what? You have the, the shakes. You're trembling. You're afraid. You're terrified. And so he would be trembling. Why? Because guess what? The one that I've been persecuting. He's calling me out. He's saying, why are you persecuting me? Of course, you could think in the the mind of Saul, what's he going to do next to me, right? I've been messing with Jesus. I've been messing with God. What's he going to do with me? But not only was it filled with tremble, but he was astonished. Why would he be astonished? He was amazed that Jesus Christ was alive. Think about that. Everything that everyone was saying, that He was—he resurrected from the dead, that He actually lived, that He conquered death. And Saul saw Him. He saw Jesus in His glorified state. See, when Jesus walked on earth, He always told them, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah that was sent by God. And now Saul was seeing it for himself. He realized that Jesus was in fact God. Which would move him to ask the question, What do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? See, Saul saw Jesus for who he was. And I as we talk about this, I want this to really hit home with us. If we say we know Jesus, are we at a place where we're asking Him, what do you want us to do? You know, as we're talking about Saul here, I want to remind you of something, and this is just such a beautiful picture. See, Saul went to Damascus his purpose was in Jerusalem. He was, going, he was making havoc in Jerusalem. He was now going to Damascus. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to arrest all Christians. He wanted to lay hold of the Christians to stop the movement. And as he intended to do this, he had now been arrested by Jesus. Jesus had now laid hold of Saul. And Saul was talking about, Saul actually goes back and mentions this in one of his future letters when he's in prison. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He realized that, you know what, that Jesus had laid hold of me. See, our goal in life, and remember this, our goal in life is to do the will of God. When you were created in this world, you weren't created just to do your will. We were created for God's will. You and I have been created to walk in the will of God. Is that what we desire? Are we still fighting against that? See, God desires us to walk in His will, and if you want to ever be in the safest place on earth, is to always be in the will of God. When I hear this, right, as the Lord is speaking to us, Lord, Saul was, as a new convert, he is saying, What do you want me to do? As seasoned disciples, some of us as Christians, Is this what we want? How many of us are actually praying this on a daily basis? Lord, what do you want me to do today? It's not about me anymore. It's about you. What do you want me to do? It's not about my life anymore. It's about you. I was created for you. See, we get so wrapped up into the things of this world, but remember, the average lifespan of, of someone in this world is what, around 77, 78 years of age? And yet, we, people live for the things of this world. Losing sight of eternity. Losing sight of God's will. Of desiring God's will. You know, as we think about this, let's move on to verse 7. He says, And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Imagine that, the man. Remember Paul, I mean Saul? As he is here, he is Saul at this moment, right? And, you know, his purpose, he got permission. I'm going to get all the Christians and I'm going to what? I'm going to lock them up. I want them out. And what's amazing about this is that he needed to take men with him, right? I mean, he has permission from the high priest. He has letters of authority to do this. And so how is he going to bring all of them back unless he has an army with him? And so you have these men that are with him. And it tells us here that they heard a voice, but they couldn't make it out. They saw a light, but they didn't know where it came from. Think about this, right? Think about what's happening with Saul here. Imagine that. Saul, remember, Saul is their leader. He's their commander. And what does it say? That he was like a wild animal, right? He was what? Breathing threats and murder. So you have this amazing leader, right? That is so evil. That is so, you know what? so filled with, you know, with hatred. And and he's a mean guy, right? I mean, he's just a a bully. And he wants to just wipe everyone out. And so, you know what? What does he... What does he do now? He's trembling. And he's on the floor. This mighty man is now what? On the floor and he's talking to somebody. And yet, we don't hear their voice, but we hear Saul saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And they see this light. How do you think they reacted? As Paul recounts this in Acts 22, verse 9, it says, And those who were with me indeed saw the light, and they were afraid. They were afraid. They themselves were afraid. Why wouldn't you be afraid? You have this unknown supernatural colliding with the natural. In Acts 22, verse 9, it goes on to say, But they did not hear the voice of Him who spoke to me. They didn't hear the voice. Wait up, but we just read that they heard the voice, but they couldn't make it out. The word hear, as it says, they did not hear the voice. The word hear, in the Greek it is a word "akouo," which means understand. It also means they didn't understand. So they heard the voice, but they couldn't understand the voice or the words that God spoke. Why would they understand? Remember, the Word of God is for the spiritually discerned. For those that have surrendered themselves, Paul surrendered himself, and he was able to understand. How many of you, as I've mentioned to you in times past, before we became believers, we read the Word of God and did it make sense? Absolutely not. But yet, when you what? surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ by faith, now we were born of the Spirit and able to discern the things of the Spirit. And so in verses 8 and 9, in verse 8 and 9, let's read them. It says, So Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Paul stands from the ground. You know what? It was over. Acts 22 verse 11 tells us that actually Paul was blinded by the glory of Jesus. In other words, when he saw it, he was blinded thereafter. And so he couldn't see. He stood up. He opened his eyes. Jesus was no longer present. He now became blind. Imagine. This great, mighty man was now blind. And he was now led by the hand. Can you imagine? He is led by the hand, by the man that traveled with him. And so they go into Damascus and he's actually there for three days without sight, food, or water. Think of this. When something traumatic happens to you, what are we to do as Christians? The Lord calls us to fast when these things happen. When we need more of God in our lives, what do we do? We empty ourselves out by fasting. And Paul was a Pharisee. He knew these things. And so, of course, he's going to fast. He says, you know what? I've seen the divine. I've seen the supernatural. I've seen God. I saw Jesus from the dead. I need direction. I need help. And so now, Let's read verse 10 and see what happens next. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. Remember, there was another man that we were going to meet and this man is named Ananias. Ananias is a Christian. He's a seasoned disciple. And can you imagine the Lord gives this man, Ananias, a vision. And in the vision that he gives him, he hears the Lord calling him by name. And the Lord, and Ananias responds, Here I am, Lord. How many of you have been given any supernatural drains by the Lord? Show of hands. Some of you have. Few you have. I have. Did you know this church that is here now, before any of this ever took place. The Lord had given me a vision of the church before it ever took place. This is the work of God. And Ananias responds, Here I am, Lord, and... So let's hear what's, what happens next. In verse 11 it says, So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. What's amazing about this is that, see, he's giving him a vision, right? The Lord appears to Ananias in a vision. And Jesus himself begins to give Ananias' instruction. He tells him, go to the street called Straight. I want you to know that in Damascus, this street is still there today. It's a major street that goes through the city of Damascus. And we know Damascus is in Syria. We know this is where ISIS was. There's a major street there today still called Straight. It is the same street that we're talking about here. And he tells Ananias... In the vision, go to the street and inquire at the house of Judas and ask for Saul of Tarsus. This is Saul. Why is he of Tarsus? Because he came from the city of Tarsus. This is where he was born. But what's interesting is what we see Saul doing. Saul is praying. Imagine. Who is he praying now to? He's praying to somebody different now. He's met Jesus. Who do you think he's praying to? He's praying to the Lord. See, one of the things that we as Christians must understand is the power in prayer. Prayer is such a mighty weapon I want you to know that you and I, as Christians, for those of you who have surrendered your lives to Jesus Christ, that have come to Him by faith, we are called soldiers. We are soldiers of Christ. And as soldiers, we carry weapons. But when it comes to Christianity, we don't carry the physical weapons. We have these supernatural weapons. See, the greatest weapon that you have is prayer if you want your families to be changed, if you want your husband coming to the Lord, your wife coming to the Lord, your children coming to the Lord, if you want changes in you, if you want deliverance in you, if you want anything to happen in your life, it happens through prayer. It's a powerful weapon. You want to know how powerful it is? The power of prayer is revealed to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we're not fighting, you know what, with the flesh. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not carnal. They're not of the flesh. But they are mighty in pulling, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Prayer is a weapon that we have. It pulls down strongholds, if there are addictions that are going on in your life, if you're enslaved and chained to certain things, you've got to be praying about these things, asking the Lord for deliverance. But I want to share this with you. God already delivered you. Don't ever forget that. See, when you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, what happened to you is that those chains, they were let go. They were broken off. That old man that is addicted to these things, that man is dead. He's been crucified. And the man in Christ is a new creation. All things become brand new. Yes, we know that not everybody receives immediate deliverance, even though it's there. But it may not happen. And if it doesn't happen, that's why you pray. And that's why it tells us, you know what, if you want these strongholds to come down, that's why you pray. Pray for your family. (coughs) Pray for your children. Pray for your spouses. See, what's amazing about prayer, when we look at The fact that Jesus prayed. Imagine that. Think about this, right? God in the flesh, the Son of God, God who came down, the second person of the triune God, came and He prayed. Why would God pray? Because He wanted to be one with His Father. When you pray, you are one with God. You are in fellowship with God. And you know what the the apostles were so moved by the prayers that Jesus did that all of all the things that they wanted to learn, they didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to preach. They didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to teach. They asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because that's not a natural thing for us. Remember, we're praying to somebody that's invisible, somebody that we can't see. But for us as Christians, we know that He's there. The Bible tells us that when we pray, we pray with confidence, we pray with boldness, that we go immediately into the throne room of grace, that we immediately are transported. How that happens, God knows, but we are in the presence of God. And God is hearing our request. That's why He says, When there's a time of need, you come to me, and I will extend mercy and grace. So Jesus goes on to tell Ananias, I gave a vision to Saul. And guess who Saul saw? Guess who is in this vision? It's Ananias. And Ananias is thinking, wait up, that's my name. Are you telling me to go and to lay hands on Saul? Wait up, Saul? That's a guy that's binding and murdering and taking Christians. Lord, are you really referring to me? The Lord is saying, there's a man named Ananias and Ananias, that's my name. So, of course, the next step from Ananias would be in verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias makes sure to remind the Lord, this man has harmed the saints, this man has authority over your saints. And here comes the comfort of Jesus. The Lord says in verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He is a chosen vessel of mine. He tells him three things about Saul. He's a chosen vessel of mine. He's going to bear my name before Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. He will suffer for my name's sake. Let's talk about this. He's a chosen vessel of mine. I want to share this with you. The fact that Jesus would say that Saul is a chosen vessel of mine, you know what that points to? That points to the grace of God. This man that was killing all Christians, that desired to wipe out the church of God, Jesus calls him a chosen vessel of mine. The life of Saul is a life of grace. This is the grace of God. And not only is His grace for him, but imagine you. How What about you? Did you know that Christ, the Word of God says that Christ died for us while we were still sinners? Did you know that He gave His life to us while we were enemies of God? Imagine that. When you wanted nothing to do with Jesus, He died for your sins. Think of your life. Think of the things that you've done. It's the grace of God to love us. Even after we said all these things about Him, how we mocked the Lord, how we mocked other Christians, how we made fun of them, how we sinned to satisfy ourselves and to say no to to the things of God. the next thing that he talked about is that he will bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and Jews. Saul was called to the Gentiles. He's the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And so we also know about Saul is that as Jesus said that he would share the gospel to the Gentiles, he was, his ministry was the Gentiles. And not only that, but he would go before kings and rulers. Remember in the video when we showed the trip to Jerusalem, they said Paul's address before King Agrippa? Not only did he go before King Agrippa II, but Paul shared the gospel with the Emperor Nero, Caesar Nero. Just as God had said, just as the Lord says, he's going to go to the Gentiles, he went to the Gentiles, and he's going to go before kings, he did that, and not only that, but he will also what? Suffer. Or he will minister to the Jews. And that's what he did, even though they didn't receive him. But the final thing that he did say there is that he would suffer for my name's sake. Suffer for my name's sake. I know many of us, we don't like this part of Christianity. We don't like it but it's necessary. You know, when we became Christians, you know, we thought, okay, we want to be like Jesus. We don't want to behave the way we've been behaving. We want change. I want to be like Jesus. But as Jesus suffered, that's a part of being like Him too. But I want you to know that As we talk about this, right, I want you to understand one thing that it's never going to be comfortable for you in this world. Remember that. Why won't it ever be comfortable for you in this world? Because we don't belong to this world. We're only passing through. We're sojourners. We're on our way to heaven. And that's what we need to be reminded of. See, if it was so great for you, let me show, give me a show of hands. Has anyone ever been without trials or tribulation in this world? Show of hands. Everyone has trials and tribulations. Every single one of us. There's heartache, there's heartbreak, there's tears, there's sorrow, there's pain, there's death. And our heart breaks in this world. Why? Because sin brought this into this world. And not only that, because the enemy wants to wipe us out. And so what does he do? He brings people to come against us. Remember what Jesus said. I'm going to read to you in John 15, verse 18 through 19. He says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you why do you think they hated me at the job? We shouldn't ever be surprised when people don't like us because we're not of this world. And if everybody loves you, then examine your walk. See, because we are going to irk people They're not going to like us because of the things that we stand for. But we're not here to please man. We are here to please who? To please God. When people are calling you to compromise and to sin, you stand for what is right. We are to be bold as lions, as the Word of God says. Standing up for righteousness and for goodness. And God gives you the power to do this. Yes, did I like being... Cast alone at the job? Absolutely not. Did I like the rejection that I had at my job? Absolutely not. But I was living for God. And when you walk in obedience, there comes blessings. Don't ever forget that. For those of you that don't know, I was working for... 16 years at BMW. And i like to say, 10 out of the 16 years, God elevated me to be the number one rep for BMW. It wasn't of me. It was all Him. Yes, we think that, you know what, even though they're suffering, but with obedience comes the blessings. With disobedience comes the chastening, the judgments. And no, we don't want none of that. Let me share this with you. We may not suffer like Paul, and Paul suffered greatly. When we look at the things that he went through, I want to just call him out because of what Jesus said would happen to his life. Look at what happens. From 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Saul, this is Paul at this sign, speaking of himself, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death often. Remember, he was taken for dead. He was imprisoned prison so many times. He was whipped so many times. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleepless, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And through all of this, he remained faithful to the Lord. What drives a man or a woman to remain faithful through all of that? Because we have tasted truth. We have come to know who God is. You know there's these times and of suffering. For many of you know my wife is going through breast cancer. It hasn't been easy. You know, when I look at at the sufferings in this world, I'm looking forward to the place where there is going to be no more suffering. I'm looking forward to the place where there's going to be no more tears. The Word of God says that Jesus wipes away every tear. There's not going to be any more tears there. There's not going to be sorrow there. There's not going to be pain. There's not going to be death. This is our hope. This is what we look forward to. And so what happens with Ananias as we come to this? In verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, tell, I titled this message, Lord, what do you want me to do? As we look at this man Ananias, we never hear from him again. But we know one thing. He did what the Lord asked him to do. Even in his fear, he did what the Lord asked him to do. He trusted and believed the Word of God, and he was willing to walk by faith in his greatest fear. Are we willing to walk by faith in our greatest fears? Imagine. He believed the Word of God so much that he went and he laid hands on Saul and he called him Brother Saul. He believed the Lord. He believed that he was now a part of the family of God. And how do you think Paul felt? Ananias. I was out for your life. I wanted to kill you. And yet, you show me the love of Christ. Yet you give me the grace of God. This is what I love about Christianity. As Christians, we don't look at the past. As Christians, none of us are to look at the past. We look at who we are in Christ. See, many of you have been offended. Many of you have been betrayed. But once you find out that they're not Christians, does that matter anymore? Or should it matter anymore? See, we know where we came from, we know that we're sinners. But once Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior, everything becomes brand new. This is the signature verse of our church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is who we are in Christ. And so Ananias tells Saul, the Lord sent me to lay hands on you so that you can receive sight and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the last verse we're going to cover is verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Imagine that. Saul was able to see again. Scales came out of his eyes. It's like the flakes came off his eyes. There was a blinding film that kept darkness over his eyes like scales of fish. They came off and he was able to see. And now light penetrated through this darkness. How many of you remember the scales that fell off of your eyes? I remember when I surrendered my life to the Lord. What was amazing about that is that it wasn't as if I saw scales coming off, but I knew that chains that were on me were broken off. I knew without a doubt, this is why I knew that the Lord was real because immediately I knew that my heart and my mind were thinking differently. I no longer had a desire to fulfill the lust of the flesh. My desire now was to fulfill the will of God to do what He asked of me. Not what I wanted, but what He wanted because He delivered me from something that no one else could do, not even myself. And the Word of God says that Saul became filled with the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by God through the filling of the Holy Spirit and he was baptized. He was water baptized. Remember, if Jesus is your Lord, (coughs) Pastor Tony Jr. mentioned it. He said, let's obey our Master. He's commanded us to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, it's time to get baptized. And some of you may ask, well, wait up. I was baptized as a child. I don't need to be baptized. Think of that time when you were a child. Did you make your choice to be baptized or were you forced to be baptized? Someone got you and said, I'm baptizing him or her and and they're going to get baptized. And Yet when you see every account in the Bible, it was after they placed their faith in Jesus that they were baptized. Why? To reveal the inward change in us. It's an outward revelation of what's happening in us. I'm going to close with two takeaways. Two takeaways, two lessons for us. And these are the things that I don't want you to forget. The first is God's grace. God's grace. You and I deserve death because of our sin, but yet God extends grace. In Romans 5, verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. In other words, he's saying because Adam sinned, that means sin entered into the world. Everyone after Adam, part of the human race will now have sin upon them. It will be imputed upon them. Who is a type of him who has to come? But the gift, but the free gift is not like the offense. This is a free gift of God. The grace of God is a free gift to all of us. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For judgment came through the one who sinned, through what? Adam. It resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. The gift of grace. That free gift of salvation. It justifies us when we place our faith in in Jesus. Even though you sin, it's as if you never sin. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned, which of course was through Adam, through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. See, when you tasted the grace of God, if you understand the grace of God, the love of God, then it's going to move you to the theme that we had today, which is God's will. What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? Our life's goal should be this, God's will. Praying daily, God, what do you want me to do? Remember, Paul even explains this to us. He gives us this amazing verse from Galatians 2.20, and I know this is a favorite of many. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May this verse speak personally to all of you. May this become our signature verse. It is no longer I who live. I have been crucified with Christ, but it is Christ who lives in me. Remember, the Lord is coming back soon. We see the signs of the times. The Lord's return is so near today than ever. You see what's happening in Israel. You see what's happening in our world today. You see the natural disasters, the earthquakes, the wars and the rumors of war. You see all these nations coming together to destroy Israel. You see all the signs that the Lord said. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to live as we've lived? Or are we going to sprint down that finish line? How can we sprint down that finish line? By living for Christ. By seeking His will. That's what it's all about. May you and I have a passion like never before. May we have a burning fire for Jesus Christ like never before so that we can cross that line, so that when we're in the presence of the Lord Himself, He can say to us, Well done, good and faithful servants. Amen? Amen. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the words that You revealed to us. We thank You for reminding us of Your grace and Your will. Maybe the Lord has been speaking to somebody here. And I know that He speaks to all of us because His Word is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes right into the crevices, into the deep parts of our heart and it reveals to us. It cuts the heart. It reveals our sin. If there's anyone here that desires to make things right with Jesus Christ, if you are here And you want a new life, a new life in Christ. I'm going to ask you now, just like Saul, stop kicking against the gold. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is upon you to make things right with Jesus Christ, to be born again.